To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. Are you one of the last of the biblical believers? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I am a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. Three years ago, I started this podcast by asking the question of whether correctly understanding the Bible really even matters anymore. And in that first episode, I cited a devastating statistic from well-known Christian researcher George Barna about what Americans believe. Well, today I have an update for you, and if you're at all like me, if you want to be able to see outside your personal bubble and get a big-picture view of what's going on around us, then you're going to be shocked to find out how things have changed in just three short years. I want to share this important information with you today so that you can know what time it really is, so that you can see things as they really are with your eyes wide open and your head out of the sand so that we can all start sharing a vision for the future that will affect how we think and act now for the sake of the Messiah. So let me start by sharing some of Dr. Barna's findings with you, and then I'll explain how I think we need to act on this information and what we need to do about the problem it illuminates. Now, this is coming from Barna's annual American Worldview Inventory conducted by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And according to Barna, nearly 70% of Americans still consider themselves Christians. Given that number, you would think there's nothing to worry about, that the domain and culture of Bible believers in America is safe and sound. But if you think that, you couldn't be more wrong. According to Barna, most Americans, despite any profession of Christian faith, fall into a category that he's named the world citizen. He describes world citizens as those who may embrace a few biblical principles, but generally believe and behave in ways that are distinct from biblical teaching. In other words, their beliefs are, by and large, not in alignment with the Bible. In 2020, that number was 69%, already a huge number and more than enough to offset the so-called Christian self-identification of most Americans. But in 2023, in just three years, the number of, quote, world citizens rose by almost a fifth, from 69% to 82. Clearly, that's headed in a very wrong direction. After world citizens, Barna then identified another much smaller group, which he calls emergent followers. These Americans, Barna says, don't have a biblical worldview but still hold a substantial number of beliefs and behaviors consistent with biblical principles. And that might otherwise be good news, except that in three years, the number of those in the emergent follower category have fallen from 25% to just 14. So the number of those who might be the most open to gaining a biblical worldview is only continuing to shrink and fast. So that leaves the group that Barna calls the integrated disciples, those who hold to a biblical worldview. 
And if you're listening to this podcast, that hopefully means that you're one of those integrated disciples. The statistic I gave you three years ago on this group, according to the 2020 American Worldview Inventory, was that a mere 6% of Americans held a biblical worldview. That meant that as of three years ago, only 6% of Americans believed in absolute moral truth, in the total accuracy of all the teachings of the Bible, that a person can't earn his way into heaven by trying to be good, that Yeshua lived and walked the earth having a completely sinless life, and that the God of the Bible is the creator and still active ruler of the universe. Three years ago, just 6% of Americans believed this biblical worldview. And that was bad enough. But fast forward to today, and according to the same research done in 2023, the number of integrated disciples, the number of Americans with a biblical worldview, has plummeted from 6% to 4 A loss of almost 7 million Bible believers from where it was just three years ago. And that's not even the worst part. Because Barna also found that among Americans under 30, that only 1% have a biblical worldview. Just 1%. And that's down, by the way, from the miserable 2% that Barna found just three years ago. And if you aren't yet comprehending how alarming these numbers truly are, according to Barna's report, he said, quote, The 6% benchmark measure recorded in January 2020, may prove to be the high-water mark of biblical worldview among American adults for the foreseeable future. When you put the data in perspective, the biblical worldview is shuffling toward the edge of the cliff. As things stand today, biblical theism is much closer to extinction in America than it is to influencing the soul of the nation. The current incidence of adults with the biblical worldview is the lowest since I began measuring it in the early 1990s. Barna also goes on to say that young people in particular are largely isolated from biblical thought in our society and are the most aggressive at rejecting biblical principles in our culture. So according to Barna, he doesn't see that number of American believers with a biblical worldview digging out of this hole anytime soon. As of today, barring any updated research, 4% is all there is of us, just 1% among young people. Say hello to the last of the biblical believers in America. Now, I don't know about you, but those numbers leave me feeling pretty defeated. But I'd rather know what we're up against then remain under the impression that everything's just fine. I mean, if you walk into a megachurch these days, you might think that the body of Messiah is growing and thriving and alive. You might see a packed out worship service and an active youth ministry and all the outward signs that are meant to indicate that God is still powerfully working among his people. But any given megachurch that's growing isn't growing because it's making new believers. It's primarily growing because it's gaining church transfers, people who previously attended another church. That's also what the research shows. 
You're seeing the consolidation of believers who want to be part of a congregation that appears to be alive rather than believers willing to remain part of a congregation that's old and shrinking and dying. And the same holds true for Messianic congregations as well. But if Barna's numbers are to be believed, and after more than three decades of proven research methods, they should be, then the megachurch, or any congregation that appears to be alive, is either an exception or an illusion. The old, shrinking, dying corner church is the true representative of the health and vitality of the collective body of Messiah in America today. And no wishful thinking or willful ignorance can change that. And this isn't a reflection on the power and ability of God. When we see today's old, shrinking, dying body, we can't look at it and say that God is impotent or incapable or a figment of our imaginations. Because it's not a result of God's inability nor is it simply a sustained attack by the enemy, invading wolves who've come in to destroy the flock. It's reflection on us, on generations of American believers who've repeatedly let down the next generation, who left their children to wander and explore in increasingly alluring, worldly, and dangerous territory, who left the discipleship and spiritual nourishment of their children up to strangers, peers, and youth ministries, all while modeling a selfish walk with Messiah that increasingly focused on intellectual theologies and spiritual feelings. Today's body of Messiah in America, old, shrinking, and dying, reflects the failure of generations of parents and ministries to instill not just biblical values, not just long-established traditions and philosophies and schools of thought, but biblical understanding biblical answers, and the critical thinking tools and skills necessary to find and test those biblical answers for themselves, rather than over-rely on denominational doctrines, professional clergy, or podcast preachers to spoon-feed it to them. It reflects a weakness that didn't protect children from powerful, worldly influences, that increasingly didn't know what their children were being taught and exposed to in school that weren't selective about who they allowed their kids to be friends with, who weren't sufficiently involved in their children's personal life and spiritual growth, who didn't teach their children to love the scriptures and rely on them like food, water, and air, and who eventually gave them unfettered access to the internet with that stupid glass rectangle that we keep in our pockets. It's a reflection on generations of Americans who increasingly enjoyed the luxuries and comforts of a prosperous nation and either never knew or never taught about the hardship of following Messiah. It's a reflection on generations who let their children become soft in their spirit, unprepared, and easily molded by outside voices that question, did God really say? To which their empty minds and devoid spirits had no reply and no resistance. In a word, the body of Messiah in America has generationally failed the one job that Yeshua gave us, to make disciples. Generation after generation has become less equipped with and less committed to the truth of God's word. It has become increasingly incompetent, ineffective, and uninterested in paying that truth forward. 
Now, I really wish I could paint a prettier picture for you. I really do. I would personally much rather be blissfully ignorant of what's happened, what is happening, and what's coming, because, to be honest, it seems impossible that this can ever be turned around. I would love to just sit here and say with a straight face that with God, nothing is impossible, and that God works all things together for good to those who love him. Because while I believe that's true, those words are just useless platitudes if we aren't being the kind of people who truly love God. Do people who love God allow this to happen to future generations? Do people who love God fail to know and pass on his word? Do people who love God permit the body of Messiah in America to be brought to the brink of extinction? Because whether we realize it or admit it or not, this is on us. We made this mess, not God. It was our responsibility to proclaim the truth of Messiah, to make God's word the foundation of our families and our lives, to do more than attend worship services and Bible studies, to not compromise the scriptures, and to confront our brothers and sisters who did. But we didn't. We slowly turned inward. We became less dependent upon one another. We minded our own business when we should have stuck our noses in. We got comfortable in our lack of persecution. We became spiritual consumers instead of spiritual producers. And we relinquished our responsibility for the next generation, expecting God to do the job that he gave us to do. We were satisfied with milk when we should have been hungering for meat. We caused our children to look for meaning outside of Messiah because they saw through our actions and inaction how meaningless to us he really was. So, four percenters, now that we know what time it is, there are only two choices before us. We can either ignore reality and do nothing, just kick the can to future generations and let them worry about it, or we can accept reality, accept responsibility, and try to do something about it now. We can still work today, to leave an inheritance for our children and our children's children tomorrow, and I, for one, choose Messiah over hopelessness. When I see statistics like what Dr. Barna has shown us, I grieve, I weep, I even feel like giving up. But then I remember God's faithfulness. And I look at our ministry and I ask, what can we do about it? What our perfect word in MJMI uniquely equipped to contribute toward fixing this problem? And what are you, Kevin, going to do to change? That's where the idea for this entire podcast ministry came from. And frankly, it's caused me to change my entire outlook on what I teach, how I teach it, and who I'm teaching to. It's given me a sense of urgency and focus where I might otherwise not be teaching and saying the things that need, in this moment, to be taught and said. But what about you? You have your own sphere of influence. You have your own gifts and talents and abilities, and you're going to have to do your own soul searching to see what you need to change, what you need to prioritize, where you should really be spending your time, finances, and resources, and how you're going to focus your efforts on doing your small part to reverse this trend of compromise and lack of discipleship in the body. Because when we all do our own small part, that's when together, collectively, 
we can make a difference. For my part, I can tell you that this is the uncommon purpose that God has called Perfect Word to. This is why Perfect Word Ministries exists, why I'm speaking to you right now, and why I will never stop sounding the alarm confronting false beliefs with the truth of Scripture, championing the Word of God, and calling believers back to the Bible to say no to long-held doctrines and worldly thinking or any kind of rationale that doesn't align with what the Scriptures say. And now that my children are getting older, now that they're working with me in the ministry, I'm seeing the hope of what it means to labor and leave a legacy for the next generation so that they're prepared to take up the fight to cross the river and inherit the promised land. So as dismal as the future looks, we need to not let this foreknowledge beat us down, but motivate us to get up and get to work. My goal every day is to work within my gifting, to function according to how God has placed me in his body, to write and teach and do the work of ministry in such a way that it starts to slow our negative momentum and perhaps one day even bring it to a halt. And I just want to say that I am so grateful to all our friends and partners whose prayers and financial support is helping me to do that work, especially the work of handing this legacy off to my sons. And while I need and appreciate that support, I also need you to help others to wake up to this reality, to learn how to love and utilize and understand the scriptures for yourself, and to spread the word to your friends and leaders about where we're at and what we need to do today to get back on track. Not so that we're transferring growth from one congregation to the next. Not so that we're making converts to a self-oriented, feeble faith. But so that we're actually making genuine disciples. Disciples who are completely sold out to Yeshua. Who are no longer biblically illiterate or ignorant, but bear the standard of Scripture as their highest authority. Who aren't majoring on minutiae or pet doctrines. Who aren't so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good and who are allowing God's word alone to establish their values, determine their beliefs, and dictate the boundaries of their behavior. Because just working on our walk with Yeshua and focusing on our personal holiness isn't going to cut it anymore. It never really did. As followers of Messiah in 21st century America, we've been living on borrowed time far longer than we realize. In Philippians 2, 14 and 16, Paul exhorts us this way. Do all things without murmurings and reasonings so that you may become blameless and innocent children of God, unblemished in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you are shown to be as lights in the world, holding out the word of life. No matter what happens over the next few years or decades, no matter how grim or glorious things become, my comfort is is in knowing that a remnant will always remain, God will eventually have his way, and he will keep all his promises, having raised up a people who will do his will and his word. Our God has used the smallest of armies and the least of all peoples to change the world. So for him, 4% is more than enough. 
Let's recommit ourselves to bearing the standard of Scripture and reorder our priorities to make the making of true disciples possible once again. I'm willing to remain on this side of the river if it means getting the next generation safely across. What are you willing to do to not be one of the last of the biblical believers? What are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of Messiah? Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI through your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to rate, review, share, follow, or subscribe to the podcast to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.